Are you there? Hey. Gabe. Ooh. Fuck me. God damn it. Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on season three, episode 16, Popular. I was angry this entire time. I know. I liked it as an episode. Bear with me, because I'm going to try to not be flipping tables and shit. <laughs> right. I know. It's fucking gross. Mm-hmm. I hate how we raise our boy children. Oh, and how they become men and then how they behave as fucking men and then how we're expected to behave in response to their behavior. Let's just fucking go. Just start. So in the opening scene, Stabler and his wife, Kathy, for exiting a school, they were called in because their daughter, Kathleen, has some really shitty grades and she's going to have to go to summer school. Stabler's like, why am I just hearing about this? And Kathy's like, oh, because you work really hard and you aren't home most nights till the kids are in bed. Right. Kathy, the perfect wife, softening the blow to her husband's ego because she knows she has to wrap the truth in cotton for him. This Mm -hmm. is thematic through the entire fucking episode. I hate this because Mm -hmm. the way women are, are supposed to coddle these motherfuckers egos i know you're a great dad and you work so hard and he's like yeah now you can tell me the tough part yeah fuck you society (laughs) so they get to their house and kathleen's on the phone sabler is like no get off the phone and she's like oh my god it's for school dad you know (laughs) he's like shit's gonna change around here and we're like no it's not (laughs) he's like no friends or mall or phone she goes that's not fair (laughs) she runs upstairs he's like we've already got maureen that sucks go to your room and kathy kind of like sides eye her like nothing's happening fucking i'm the one that does the parenting so just let him fucking take away your phone like how's he gonna know she's on the phone he's never there oh my god i'm gonna implement rules that then kathy has to follow through on stabler tells kathy that he thinks it's clear She's the parent and he's the paycheck. And she's like, just fucking chill. You're a good dad. Ego cradling. Yeah. She's like, she's like, we haven't really had any real trouble with our kids. Then she starts telling him about this girl she heard about from her nurse friend that was raped by a teacher. And the girl is too afraid to go to the police. And you can see Stabler's little like copiers perk up. And he starts asking questions about the girl. There's tiny little blue and red lights <laughs> on his ears. <laughs> on the top of his ears. Sorry. <laughs> he tries to keep it chill. He wants information. Mm-hmm. Kathy's nurse friend Carol at St. Mary's did the rape kit. And since the girl doesn't want to report it, she has to keep it confidential. But this girl is only 14. So Sable's like, oh, what school does she go to? And Kathy's like, why? And he's like, well, maybe they have a good counseling program. Like she'll get help because she's going to probably become an alcoholic because of this. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Kathy tells him it's Tucker Junior High and it has a good rep. So he's probably got a good counseling program. But Stabler's totally fucking detectiving her. Yes. He has this look on his face like he's going to fucking meddle for sure. Mm -hmm. He's going to get his little sticky fingers in there and be like, I'll fix it. Where is like his honey-do list from Cragen? How does he fit this in to his I, life, to his I, work life? I don't know. So we're at St. Matthew's Hospital now. Horse Stabler's there. He's getting his little shrimp snatchers into the pot. His little, <laughs> his little walleye wigglers. <laughs> I, I, well, Are those fingers? Yeah. That's... <laughs> Whenever me and get food, if he ever had shrimp, I always take the first one. Yeah. And so I started calling him my shrimp snatchers, (laughs) walleye wigglers, 
for for uh, Friday fish fries, Wisconsin thing. Yeah. So Stabes finds his wife's friend, Carol, the nurse. Mm -hmm. Um, She's outside. He tells her he needs the girl's name. And Carol is immediately like, what the fuck? I can't believe Kathy broke my confidence. And he's like, Kathy didn't mean to. She didn't. Stabler fucking did his little shit. Manipulated her. Yeah. He's like, I won't tell anybody how I got the info. Bullshit. Right. He's like, just fill me in a little bit more. And she's like, um, no. I'll lose my job. And you'll probably lose yours and this girl will be fucking traumatized. So she basically tells him to fuck off and that the girl doesn't exist as far as he's concerned. Then she fucking takes her cable knit turtleneck and cute bouncy hair into the building. Do you see Mm -hmm. how hard her hair bounced? Oh, (laughs) so we're in the precinct hallway now. Stabler finds Olivia like chugging a coffee and eating a sandwich while walking into the squad room. And he's like, bro, I got some shit I need help with, but it's gotta be a secret. And she's like, ooh. He pulls her aside and looks over both of his shoulders way too many times for a real life show. So yeah. cartoon detective Stabler wants to make sure nobody knows what he's up to. Yeah, he got a crick in his neck in real life from doing that so hard. <laughs> it's like he was a teenager in a play that's just trying too hard. Come this way. Nobody's looking. Nobody's looking. Make sure that nobody's looking. And then all these people are like, but um, around the corner. But um, we're gonna listen close and we're gonna get involved. Sorry. (laughs) He wants her to go to the St. Mary's place and check the sign in log, but pretend it's for a different case or something. Find a reason to look at the log without giving him up. And then he tells her about Kathy accidentally telling him about the girl, accidentally, air quotes, and how the girl won't report it. But if the nurse Carol sees him snooping around, he'll get in trouble. Saber just needs to find out if this is real or not. And Mm -hmm. Olivia's like, um, and, and then what? Right. And he's like easy convince her to come forward olivia does not think that this is a good idea they can't make her talk and staves is like even if the girl has to sit in class being taught by her rapist Mm. and she's like okay i mean yeah i'm gonna go yeah obviously she's gonna do it yeah she's fucking ride or die so she's like you're my best friend also i had nothing else to do today so i'm so glad that you brought in an activity for me Here I go. (laughs) Cut to St. Mary's. Olivia jumps in line to the front desk and flashes her badge saying she needs to talk to, quote, the rape victim. And the nurse at the front desk says that they didn't call in any assaults. So he's kind of confused as to why she's there. And Mm -hmm. she's like, I just go where they tell me. And she gives him a name, some made up name, Marjorie Janet Munch or whatever the (laughs) fuck she says. She's like, I was probably a mix up in the names. Like, can I take a look at the list, please? Just the sheet for the past two days and I'll cross-reference the names at the precinct. Just like NBD. Oh, I hate to bother you. Yeah. Real quick. Fucking shifty little bitch. (laughs) Yeah. And the dude's like, "Mm, okay. You are a cop, so. (laughs) Why would you be meddling when you have so many other cases and people to concern yourself with? And then he gives her the clipboard and she's like, (laughs) (laughs) and she does this like pink panther tiptoe out of the And then the other nurses, they all file in like the Rockettes and they're like, she got it. She got it. She got it. And they're going to go with the case and they're going to figure out what's going on at that school. 
Over at Tucker Junior High School, Stabler is talking to the principal. She's upset about all of this and wants to know why he doesn't know the victim's name. He mm -hmm. asks her to look at the list of absent kids the day before, and she's like, it sounds like the victim doesn't want to be found. Mm -hmm. And he asks her if she's comfortable having a teacher raping students and throwing around his authority to prey on girls. Right. Stabler promises he won't approach the victim until he's 100% sure that he's right and he'll be discreet. Full fucking shit. No shit. He's like, like I'll tell you anything to get you to do what I need you to do. <laughs> right. This principal is just like not having it, but she's also kind of in a weird spot. Back at the precinct. <clears throat> oh, <laughs> back at the precinct. <laughs> Everybody's getting their periods and slow dancing. <laughs> Back at the precinct, Stabler and Benson are cross-referencing the hospital. I rubbed my boner against the fridge. <laughs> 20 minutes later. <laughs> okay. Back at the precinct, Stabler and Benson are cross-referencing the hospital list and absentee school list. They find a Cynthia Wilmont. She was absent with a note from home, obviously forged. Olivia says everybody does it. I used to do it all the time, except, of course, Stabler. Your kids don't do it. <laughs> Why are we babying him so much? This okay. is the whole show. I don't know. Is Stabler actually triplet infants stacked on top of each other in a trench coat? <laughs> right. <laughs> Benny pops a pasty in his mouth and asks him what the plan is, okay? Stabler doesn't want her involved anymore because he wants to protect her job. Oh, now he does. Okay, cool. Yeah, where was it when you needed a favor, Stabes? She's like, dude, what are you talking about? I showed my ID at the hospital. Yeah. It's, what, what is wrong with you? It's too fucking late, buddy. I'm, I'm in now. In. Stabler wants to talk to the girl, but he wants to keep their asses covered. He's not thinking past how he's emotionally dealing with this because you can't really do that. Like now it's, you got to open it up. Yeah. So then obviously he's got to talk to the boss, cut to Cragen's office. Cragen's fucking pissed dad wagon finger is out and he's like you gotta drop this or the city the hospital you the precinct everything is all open to a lawsuit and i'm watching this at first i'm always at mm -hmm. first like good for you craigs you really got this mm -hmm. shit covered you really handle your shit mm -hmm. but this is also this other man can talk to this other man this way zero nightlights mm -hmm. zero bedtime stories he gets to shoot mm -hmm. him fucking straight which is not acceptable in any the only other person who attempts it is cabot and she gets shit on all the time mm, yep you know what's funny is i've been like rewatching all of always sunny and mm -hmm. cabot is the d of the svu precinct yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> They're like, you look like a bird, Cabot. <laughs> Cragen goes on to tell Stabler that if Stabes talks to Cynthia, she's going to know the nurse spilled the beans. Victim advocates will be all over his ass and Cragen won't stop them as he shouldn't. They should be all over his ass. Yes, they should. Like, Jesus. And then Stabler goes, I think they'd be the first ones who'd want to catch this hump. <laughs> He's... <laughs> He says hump like it's a taking a bite sound effect. Like, oh, this is really good. Hump. <laughs> hump. <laughs> he did. <laughs> it's a very um, Homer Simpson yeah. eating noise. Hump. Cragen completely ignores that weird thing that Stabler just did and says it's hard enough to get adult women to report. So how are they going to get this fucking child? He tells mm -hmm. Stabler he's dropping it until Cynthia is ready to come forward. Stabler tells Cragen it's her teacher and he's not going to stop raping kids. Cragen's like, <sighs> okay. He fucking flops so easily for Stabler. I know. Every, I mean, he was like, no, I'll give him your blood. <laughs> yeah. 
And then he's like, well, go ahead. Actually, do whatever you need to do, buddy. Love you. Good yeah. job. You do so great. he, he great. tells, yeah, he tells Stabler to get the girl in for a sit down with the principal's office. If she won't talk, then fucking back the fuck off. And he tells Stabler if he goes behind his back ever again, it's going in his file. And I'm like, sure. Back at Tucker Middle School, Benson and Stabler show up and tell the principal that the victim is an eighth grader named Cynthia Wilmot. The principal asks the secretary to go get Cynthia. Benson asks for the list of Cynthia's teachers, but the principal's like, Mm-mm, nope, I can't give you any info on teachers unless there's a subpoena and a complaint. This, I like this principal. I like her too. I think yeah. she's pretty cut and dry, but she mm-hmm. cares at the same time. Yeah. The secretary comes back and says that Cynthia is in the nurse's office lying down because she has a stomachache. Her, her little yeah. tummy hurts. And I feel like the principal is implying that there is some special circumstance or something because of who the girl is regarding the accusation yeah because they're talking about the teacher who is possibly the perp and she goes whoever this person is he has rights until he's been accused especially since it's cynthia and i'm like what does that mean is it because everybody thinks she's ugly i thought and i'm like same thing and i thought what does that mean she's like and first of all this kid isn't she's a kid that's the other thing it's like it's like the man coddling and the weird 90s she's all that shit with this little girl Mm-hmm. Anyway, the, the principal allows the detectives to go to the nurse's office as long as there is privacy. Stabler promises that if Cynthia doesn't want to talk, they'll leave. Sure, Jan. <laughs> right. So now we're in the nurse's office and Cynthia is this like cute little curly haired girl who's lying on a cot. I need to find a photo of me in high school or at least at this age because her hair is exactly what I was the going same. for. It's like yeah. I got perms to have hair like she did. Gorgeous. Oh. So, so cute benson stabler come in and like vaguely ask her if there's anything she'd like to talk about like if anyone's been bothering her lately or anything she doesn't know what's going on and thinks that she's in trouble then benson says you can tell us if somebody touched you and she's like oh my god what are you gonna talk to my parents stabler promises they won't she doesn't believe them and says that the nurse said she wouldn't say a word she hasn't told anybody except for that nurse so she doesn't trust them or the nurse fucking awesome she flops back down on the cot facing the wall and says she's fine and no one did anything to her this is already fucked this is fucked right oh so now we're in the school hallway having a little walk and talk with benson stabler stabler wants to go talk to her parents he's like if they were my kid i want to know and benson's like this is not about you or her parents you expect her to come forward when most women don't either she's a kid or an adult can't have it both ways mm-hmm. benson stabler walk into the squad room and fucking stabler's wife kathy is waiting for him he's in fucking trouble yeah. she's like hey i'm not angry and that's what scares me Which is a weird thing to say. I took it to mean like that whole sentiment of the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. You know, when you like Mm. stop having an emotional response to your partner, it's kind of like, hey, this is signaling that you should be living in an apartment on the other side of town. Yeah, I guess I took it as like she knows him and knows he's going to do whatever, which is also kind of the same thing. Yeah. So she's like, I lost a really good friend because of you. And I feel like you played me. He was doing his detective stuff on her and trying to get info. And so he's like fucking justifying what he did to protect this girl. And Kathy's like, well, that's very noble and stuff. But the victim did not want her confidence broken. Again, being like, you're doing a really good job, but I'm still not happy about it. Yeah. Ugh. So as Kathy's leaving, Benson pops her head out and tells she's Stabler. She's like, hi. <laughs> Yeah. Because she knows he's in trouble. <laughs> She's like, oh my God, are you going to tell me everything once Kathy leaves? 
So she tells Stabler that Carol Porter from St. Matthew's just called Kathy's ex-friend. Mm-hmm. The victim, Cynthia, had just been admitted. Someone threw her down a flight of stairs. And Kathy looks at Stabes over her shoulders like, hmm, and leave. Yeah. And Stabler's like, oh, great. You don't should have waited till Kathy left. Tell me that. Why didn't you bring me a sandwich, by the way? Oh, my God. My life. I'm having a hard time because you said I was wrong out loud in front of another lady. <laughs> Cut to St. Mary's. Vincent and Stabler are asking the front desk dude where Cynthia is. Carol, the nurse, tells him that Cynthia is in the OR getting a pin in her arm because she has a really bad broken arm. Cynthia told the nurse that she fell down the stairs a few blocks from her house. Someone found her and called an ambulance. She has a black eye, a broken arm, and some fractured ribs. Benson's like, these are not consistent with an accidental fall down some stairs. This nurse asked Stabler if he went to the school to question Cynthia because she's blaming her for people finding out. Carol actually was ordered to leave the emergency room because Cynthia was so upset that she was in there. And so Stabler apologizes for this. Of course, he doesn't fucking care, though. She's pissed, but still gives them info. Like, she thinks Cynthia had been raped more than once. She came in with stomach pain. The doctor didn't examine. She has pelvic inflammatory disease from gonorrhea. And then now Stabler says, Cynthia doesn't have a choice anymore if she wants to talk. And her parents are in the waiting room. Because, you know, with gonorrhea, like, public health is involved. Yeah. So now we're in the waiting room. Cynthia's dad is pissed. And, like, sort of in denial, his daughter has gonorrhea. Because mm-hmm. I'm her purity and fucking blah 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 oh my god her dad uh, drives me fucking nuts i fucking know benson says that public health has to be notified to be able to inform the people that cynthia's maybe been with and he says my daughter did not give this to anyone and the reasonable mom says well she didn't get it from a fucking toilet seat this woman i know that they bring it up later that she's like oh my mom's so pretty she's got a charlie's theron kind of look to her she does yeah she's yeah. Gorge. Cynthia's parents say that Cynthia doesn't have a boyfriend, but they can try and talk to her best friend, Amy Bergen. She might be able to help. Benson and Stabler are doing a cute little walk and talk. Stabler thinks that they should have gone to Cynthia's parents right away instead of the school. Benson wants to look into the parents. The dad seemed too upset to her that his daughter would be having sex, which that makes sense. Yeah. That a parent would be the upset. Da- you know the whole I mean? time the dad's focused on the wrong things yeah. being the issue. So Benson wonders if Cynthia maybe lied about the rape to cover up sexual activity. And then I wanted to remind everyone the percentages of rapes that are lies. It's like less than 2%. Benson maybe thinks her dad gave it to her. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of options to look into right now. But first the best friend. At the Bergen apartment, Benson and Stabler are in the kitchen asking Amy's parents, who look like fucking siblings, by the way, to speak with Amy alone (laughs) because kids will keep secrets from their parents. Stabler's head explodes and then Benson gently cleans it up, puts all (laughs) of his brain matter into the half shell that's his skull, puts it back together for him, changes his little diapy, and they go in to talk to this girl. (laughs) Yeah, the dad's not into it, but the mom, like, steps up and is like, dude, it's her best friend. She's in the hospital. Forced her on your right. The mom's are the only ones that are like right what are you doing i love how this mom looks at the dad too when he's like oh no no and she's like oh my god dude and she gives him a side eye like we're gonna fight about this when they leave (laughs) are you an idiot yes benson and stabler go into amy's room and she asks them to shut the door she's actually kind of like overconfident for all these she's like shut the door please yeah i'm like whoa bitch No, these like fucking uh, pea coats and badges come flashing into your room and you're like uh could you grab that door behind you thank you so much please have a seat <laughs> tea coffee chardonnay amanda <laughs> <laughs> these officers with like some turkish delight 
Okay, so she's like, shut the door door. and have a seat. She knows who they are from seeing them at school and Cynthia telling her about it. They ask her if she knows who could have hurt Cynthia. She doesn't know who could have hurt her, she says, and says that Cynthia has a boyfriend named Tommy Kessler. Benson asks if Cynthia is having sex with him. And Amy goes, we fool around, but we don't go all the way. And Sabler's like, we? She's like, yeah, we have a club. Tommy and his buddy Nick throw parties where... Us girls just blow dudes for beer. And Benson's mm-hmm. like, do you use condoms? And she goes, oh, that's gross. I told you we don't have sex. And I'm like, oh, my God. Sex education yeah. needs to be happening in schools. I've never blown a guy with a condom on, though. I haven't either. Okay, yeah. I haven't either. But abstinence programs and base level sex ed yeah. make me want to fucking scream. Yeah. The, she should have been like, oh, I know this is bad, but no. The Yeah. The, you know res- I mean? It was the response that made me go, you don't know yep. shit because nobody's teaching you fucking anything. Amy tells them that they had a party the day before yesterday. It was the best one so far. Dude, your friend was fucking raped and thrown down a flight of stairs. And how was this the best? Like, what do you mean? You got to blow a lot of dudes? I don't understand why this was a good party. What's good about this party? We do it for beer. You're like, gross, dude. Do it for like some good champagne or something. Just don't do it though. How about that? I mean, or do it because you want to suck dicks. Don't do it because a boy told you to. Exactly. If you want to go to parties, blow some dudes you're an adult consenting adult (laughs) you're a 14 year old adult do it have stand in line or whatever and they're both looking at her like what the fuck and she goes on to tell them that cynthia has to go to all these parties if she wants to stay tommy's girl and they're like what why and she goes well cynthia's no hottie (laughs) yeah you guys are the same level of 14 year old girl to me you and this yeah. other girl. Dude, the way that fucking, like, I literally, like, at least then, I, this is why I love Gen Z. They're immediately taught fuck men and, like, yeah, <laughs> and body positivity and, like, this is my my body. You, your kids, you're like, can I have a hug? And if they're like, no, you're like, okay. Yeah. You have consent. You know, me, it's like I had to give all the weird uncles hugs because I had to. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. So in eighth grade, when I was this age, I was dating this guy. <laughs> take his name he broke up with me because i was not ready to like let him feel me up okay so then he came over to my house one night and i was like okay i'm gonna let him do it okay so this is like mind you a little fucking 14 year old freckle face little fucking turd right yeah so yeah he's on the side on the side of my house and i decide i'm like okay no, I want to be with him, so I'm going to let him fucking touch my boot. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. All that shit is. Because, like, I, this is another reason why I like Gen Z is because we were always taught, like, if a guy doesn't like us, it's us. We're doing something. Like, it's yeah. a... Like, men are the baseline, and we're just supposed to kind of work around what they want yes. all the time, forever. I'm sure there's that stuff going on now, but it just seems more like with being taught at a, y- a young age, body consent stuff, that's huge. Body autonomy. Yeah. yeah. I let him put his little fucking grubby hands under my shirt and squeeze my boobs (laughs) and he says he says too little too late (gasps) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i don't want to beep his name out what a little fuck Uh uh-huh he went in with a plan to do that the whole time and he thought yeah i'm really gonna fucking tell her me and my fucking three pubes are gonna fucking tell her (laughs) yeah fuck him i'm sure he went to his little buddies and then i said this yeah they were like crazy i was like wow and then i had sex with after bible camp the next year good i'm glad that you bounced back bounced back on another tiny little high school dick 
Oh my god, can you believe that? That anybody lets a pimply face little fuck touch them? I know. I see these like beautiful, you know, 16, 17 year old, like just beautiful girls and they have all this potential and they're just like getting shit on by these little fucking boys, children that look like children mm-hmm. and they think they're hot and stuff and you're like oh you poor thing i know i look back at the guys that were like fucking studs in high school and i'm like ew yeah, yeah. ew I know. And they're the shittiest <sighs> at that age, too, because they're fucking they're the shittiest at all age, but they're really flexing hard and trying to be cool around other guys and doing and saying mean shit to girls. It's just fucking awful. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> I should message him on Facebook or something. <laughs> be like, Remember that time that I let you squeeze my boob and you came in your pants and then told me too little too late? Yeah, motherfucker. That's public record now. Oh, hey, he's like, I blame this? him for all of my emotional problems with men. What That's- a piece of shit shit <laughs> okay anyway anyways these kids are blowing dudes for beer so darkwing duck and toots are at the school munch looks the most like darkwing duck i've ever seen our job right now is to talk to these kids and toots is like god i'm gonna yeah. fucking hate this kids are the fucking worst i hate yeah. kids this reminded me of that uh john mulaney joke remember where he's like oh my god like 14 year olds are the worst like mm. when they insult you they pick out the thing that you're the most when some guy was like oh get your girlish hips or whatever and he was like oh my god <laughs> your biggest insecurity that yeah that all the adults tell you that nobody notices and they're like we notice (laughs) so they find tommy and nick fucking being teen turds by a fence tommy has a fucking cigarette behind his ear and he tries to light it up and they're like no okay tommy looks like a mashup of michelle's friends in full house Derek boyd he was also in little rascals the i'm a yankee doodle dandy that kid that's him yeah and the kid that they called duck lips actually i think duck lips was stephanie's friend now that i think of it but the whole thing i could not stop focus he's a douche he's got like slicked hair and fucking harder down the middle that's coming back popular again. Very Devin Sawai. But his mouth bothered me so much. It was like half Batman Joker and half McDonald's Golden Arches. And I was like, <laughs> oh, you little fucker. <laughs> he did have a pretty crazy um, Cupid's bow. Cupid's or bow. Yeah. But because he was such a little fucker, his little smirk looked like he just wanted to slap it off his face. Yeah. They did a good casting with this guy. Yeah, they did. Tommy says he had heard that Cynthia was hurt. Nick says that they saw her leave school that day, but they went the other direction. They asked Tommy who Cynthia hooked up with at that last party. And mm-hmm. Nick is like, oh, my God, Tommy, don't tell him. I don't want to get in trouble with my parents. And Tommy's like, shut up. The detectives are like, what the fuck is this sex party shit? You're passing girls around to your friends? And Tommy's like, it's not sex. So a guy doesn't get pissed off if his girl chicken heads someone else. I know. I was like, damn. And Toots is like, don't try to fucking relate to me. Like, he's don't- looking at Toots like, right, my guy? <laughs> you know? And Toots is yeah. like, ew, I fucking hate you. You can't tell that I fucking hate you? Yeah. Tommy says he couldn't get beer, so Cynthia said she'd try and get some, but she was also with Nick that night because it was his birthday, like sexually with Nick. Yeah. And she was with this older guy, his sister Mia knows. Dude's like 20 or 30. Yeah, Tommy's sister Mia knows this mm-hmm. older dude that was at this party. Yeah. Cynthia went off with him in exchange for some ecstasy. Ugh. This is wild. Back in the squad room, everyone hates this. Craig <laughs> goes, teenage swinger parties? Pass everybody's keys are in a bowl by the front door. I was just gonna say, pass around a fishbowl for your keys. Uh, and then Cragen goes, oh, he's, it is spinning his fucking mind. And he's like, when is oral sex not sex? And Benson's like, uh, Bill Clinton, remember that? <laughs> I don't even dive into the fucking that shit. Yeah. We are awful to women. And I am so glad that 
you guys are going to all die before us. Yes. Probably. And also that I feel like women are starting to come to the same level of anger with it. Right. Stigler thinks the older guy is the teacher Cynthia said raped her. They need to talk to Tommy's sister, Mia. Craigan thinks that Tommy would have known the teacher, but Benson thinks that there's no teacher and Cynthia's using it to cover something up. Yeah, because if he... I mean, Cynthia and Tommy are the same age. Mm -hmm. So this guy would have recognized him if he was a middle school teacher. Yeah, Uh, With or without Cynthia's consent, it would still be statutory rape as an Mm -hmm. adult and a 14-year-old. Cabot says without a complaining witness, they can't do anything, though, unless they tie the dude to the assault. So if they can prove that he was with Cynthia, the parents can request that the rape kit be released. Mm -hmm. They need to get Cynthia to tell them the fucking truth. Craigan says to wait until she's out of the hospital, but sends Munch and Toots to talk to Tommy's sister, Mia. Toots hates Tommy and wants to beat his ass so fucking bad. He's like, Carol, let's go to his house. (laughs) So uh, we get to the Kessler apartment. Tommy opens the door and Munch and Toots just push their way through. They're like, where's your parents? And this kid has got a whole other attitude now all of a sudden. He's like, oh, right this way. My mom's lying down and my dad's at work and my sister's room is over there. Yes. It it was bizarre. Right. So they get to Mia's bedroom door. They can smell weed through the door. So Toots pounds on the door and she fucking angry opens it thinking it's her little brother Tommy. They show her their badges and walk into her room. She's like, well, Toots is like, what kind of fucking swag are you chiefing or token or whatever the fuck he said. <laughs> she's super into the craft also. Oh, for sure. Toots is going through all of her shit and she's being all teen sassy like <laughs> My Also, stuff. she's kind of high. Yeah. She plays a good kind of high teenager. Mm-hmm. She's like, I don't know, you guys. Uh. Yeah. They ask her about the sex parties. She denies it. They threaten to take her in for weed if she doesn't talk. She tries to do the teen thing where she's like, you can't do that without a warrant. And they're like, actually, here are all of the actual rules and you're smoking weed actively at this moment we can dig through your room all we fucking want right now yeah they want to know who comes to these parties she has her friends from school come over and then she lets her brother bring his friends just so that he'll stay quiet and shut up which is totally gross Mm -hmm. okay much is like illegal drugs and rape are crime you gross bitch (laughs) (laughs) and that was just me in my head it's like i don't want to be at a sex party with my fucking brother yeah i mean exactly i don't want to be like blowing a dude in front of my brother i don't want to get my i don't want to see my brother seeing some little thing in a training bra crawling all over my brother's fucking (laughs) boner lap yeah Oh my god. <laughs> they tell her that someone was raped by an adult. And she's like, who? And she, they're like, Cynthia. And they're like, oh, that mousy skank? Wow. Okay. She says that it was probably Ross McKenzie. He's 24. And she's like, he wouldn't rape anybody. He's like so hot and cool. He could have anybody he wants. Which doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And he's also a sub at her high school. And he's only interested in mature women like me. Right. Like a tween smoking weed in her parents' house. Totes mature, please. Yeah. I mean, she's a victim too. Of course. Obviously. Yeah. yeah, this 24-year-old guy hangs out and he like super likes me. That guy's a fucking loser. Yeah. A loser, fucking pedophile. Yeah. Gross. God, this fucking Ross guy. Okay. I know. Especially at the end when he... <laughs> I know. Cut to the squad room. Benson and Stabler look up Ross. He's been teaching there for three years. On and off. I mean, he's a substitute teacher, so he has like other places he goes. But mm-hmm. the only thing he has is an arrest for trying to buy cocaine, but there wasn't a conviction. It was entrapment or something, so he didn't have to put it on the school application. They think that maybe it was him that beat up Cynthia because kids talk and shit, and Cynthia maybe talks about the rape, and that's how he found out that she was saying stuff out loud and like beat her up. Yeah. Okay, so the high school lets out 
after Cynthia was attacked, so Ross would not have been working that day. Cragen wants him to check with the high school to see if Ross worked or not. If he wasn't working, then he wants Ross in for an interview. So now we're at the Harrison High School where Ross works. The principal tells Benny and Stabes that the kids love Ross. He listens to their music and he talks like them and they call him by his first name and the principal fucking hates this guy. Mm-hmm. I love the hate this principal has for the substitute. Yeah. <laughs> he thinks that it blurs the line between student and teacher. He wants to know what Ross did. He says he wasn't working on Monday, the day Cynthia was pushed on the stairs, but it doesn't mean he didn't have a teaching gig somewhere else. So schools are short on money, teacher supplies. That never changes, you know? No. So he feels like their standards on subs is lower right now. He doesn't like Ross at all, but he can't afford to dislike someone because of their situation. But he does not like lax rules and teachers fraternizing with students. No one's complained about Ross yet to him. Right now, Ross has a free period and is in the teacher's lounge. So Benson and Stabes head off to the teacher's lounge to confront Ross. The dude does not want to leave with them to talk to them until he finds out what this is about. Like, he's pretty cocky. Mm -hmm. So Stabler's like, "Um, well, it's kind of sensitive. So we could do the interview right here if you want with everybody around. The guy's like, I'm not going with you. What's going on? So Stabes pulls out his little notebook and flips it open and says, okay, this is about drug deals and sex parties with minors. You ready? And everybody kind of... I loved (laughs) that. All the teachers in there were like, what? I'm just like, double take? (laughs) Yeah. And he's like, okay, well, uh, I need to talk to the principal. And they're like, we already did. So get your coat. Let's go, you stupid fuck. (laughs) Yeah. Cut to an interrogation room. Stabler and Benson have Ross in there. He says that he didn't work on Monday and was home working on lesson plans. He says he teaches high school kids because his methods are (laughs) a little unorthodox. Benson says, um, is that because you get too familiar with the student body? Mm-hmm. See what you did there, mm-hmm. Benson? Ross says the principal hasn't changed the curriculum since the 1970s. And to teach kids, you have to meet them at their level. Right. <laughs> I don't party with them. Benson asks, then why were you at Tommy's apartment a few nights ago? He says he was a chaperone because Mia and Tommy's mom is fucked up, which is red flag fucking city. Yeah, she's like, she's fucked up as in like, she when, when Toots and Munch went over to the their apartment she wasn't asleep she was passed out right yeah it is not your gig as a substitute teacher to be if an adult said that to me why they were at like a teen party i'd be like you just out loud fucking outed yourself right yeah no you should not be at this teenager's fucking apartment right he claims to not have seen any drugs or sex stuff in front of him and he verifies that mia did let tommy have his friends at the apartment but they had to stay in his room and stay quiet and they weren't any of ross responsibility so he didn't know what was up with them mm-hmm. stabler wants ross to explain why they say he got ecstasy for them and he's like oh, they're kids and they're lying kids tend to do that when their backs are against the wall and stabler's like adults, adults too so behind the glass in Craigan's shire benson stabler walk in and, and cabot's there <laughs> I don't know enough about the fucking Hobbit to, or Lord of the Rings or anything. It's, where, it's the Shires where the Hobbits live. There's moss everywhere. Behind the glass in Craigan's prancing pony. Is that the bar? Yep, one of them. I knew it! I knew it! Benson and Stabler walk in and Cabot's there. I mix up all of my like fantasy stuff. I'm like, they all have a nice half butter beer. Wait, that's <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> so far, they have nothing to pin Ross to Cynthia's assault. Benson thinks they should talk to Tommy's bestie, Nick, but Cynthia like fucked around with him on his birthday. Cabot doesn't think it'll do any good. She argues right. intent. A lady comes in and hands Cragen a note saying that Cynthia was just released from the hospital. Cragen wants Benson to go and talk to her and tell her the shit that they know and maybe she'll talk. And Cragen wants Stabler to go talk to Cynthia. 
Cynthia's parents. He can't tell them about the rape, but Stabler can tell them what SVU does. Hmm. Shifty fucking shifty. This whole fucking apartment thing was so... I didn't like any of it. None of it. Mm -hmm. In Cynthia's apartment, her parents are obviously super upset about all of this. This is where I noticed that this dad has Robin Williams' mouth, so I look him up. Whoa. He does big time. Yeah. He... Classic case of the Robin Williams <laughs> You reacted huge to that news, by the way. <laughs> I did. Well, because I believe in it. He comes back next season in 2003 and again in 2013 as different characters. He's most known for voicing a protagonist in the Grand Theft Auto 5 video game. Okay. Okay. And he also voiced Raffles the Dog in the 1991 smash hit Rover Dangerfield. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Holy shit. I remember that movie. So I went on a real roller coaster with this guy. I was (laughs) like, I fucking hate you. And then he had Robin Williams mouth and I'm like, RIP Robin Williams. And then I was like, fucking Rover Dangerfield. Who thought of that? Who thought was like, you know what we need? A kid's movie starring Rodney Dangerfield as a dog. Coke fueled sexual deviant insult comic Rodney Dangerfield. (laughs) You know who loves that shit? Kids. (laughs) Remember remember Ladybugs? Yeah. He was the... (laughs) soccer coach of a girl's little girl's right and he's like hey don't pull your titties out till you're 18 or whatever he fucking <laughs> yeah i don't remember any of his jokes but they were it, it, the 80s and early 90s were a very bizarre time you know what i blame it on cocaine remember when he was in natural born killers and he played that disgusting dad yes it was disgusting i mean he played it really well though that was like a really great instance yeah. of like somebody yeah. who can play a wide range. Yeah. So done. Ronnie Danger. I need to go on a deep dive. Okay. Anyway, we're back to Cynthia's parents. Benny and Staves are there. The parents are really upset because public health officials are asking Cynthia about who she's been with, finding out about the teenage sex parties. Cynthia's best friend, Amy's parents, blame Cynthia for all of this shit going on. Of course. Yeah. On top of all of this other shit, Cynthia has lost her best friend too. So they're just like, oh my God, our daughter is going through a lot. Mm -hmm. Stabler tells them that they couldn't have prevented it and it's not their fault. And the dad's like, what the fuck do you know? I thought Stabler was going to go on a whole like, I'm the dad of dads. What do I know? What do I know? So Stabler stays cool and he's like, I work for SVU. Sex crimes, all we do is sexually based crimes, child abuse, abandonment, rape cases. Uh-huh. ABCing it for this dad. Yeah. And he goes, wait, was Cynthia raped? Stabler goes, the law is very clear about what I can and cannot do or say, but I can tell you that if a four 14-year-old girl was raped and didn't report it, I can't investigate or make an arrest. But if that were to happen, I would be there. I'd be the one. Yeah. I'm here right now. Yeah. Are you feeling Are you feeling me? Are you getting what I'm yeah. saying? Like, I, I know he's trying to help, mm-hmm. but like, victim's rights, man. Like, I know. It's, it's very know. blurry, like, as to <sighs> how far of a reach is too far yeah. for what you should be meddling with. So mom and dad are putting this shit together while Stabes is wink, wink, telling them who he is and why he's there. Yeah. Mom asks if he's saying that Cynthia was raped and won't talk about it. And Stabler's like, "Uh, I'm not allowed to answer that question while he's nodding really hard. Yeah. And dad's like, oh, oh my God, this is good news. Oh my God. I was like, what? And his wife was like, why would you even think or say that? 
Right. You know? He goes, well, if Cynthia got gonorrhea from being raped, then it wasn't her fault. She didn't do anything wrong. Holy fuck. Yeah. He's like so concerned with his daughters not being at fault. I'm sure her purity and all this shit too, because it's a big blow for him to have like a quote, like slut for a daughter. Uh, I'm sure if it was his son, it'd be great, but. Exactly. He's more concerned with that than her actually being fucking raped. Right. It's you know? not good news dad yeah the mom is upset and fucking leaves her room obvious i mean what else are you gonna do yeah she was great she's just like are you fucking kidding me you're really focused on the wrong part of the story here your priorities are all fucked up dude right in cynthia's room it's benny and synth sitting there having a conversation cynthia asks benson what's gonna happen now and benson's like well nothing i know most of what happened but there's nothing i can do if you're not gonna talk and cynthia's like oh you know what happened cynthia kind of doubles down about tommy and says that she does the stuff that he wants because she loves him and benson as an adult woman talking to this young naive girl goes yeah uh this fucking douchebag traded you to a grown-ass man for drugs it doesn't sound like love to me but cynthia says that tommy is the most popular guy in school and he picked her and it's everything to her to be popular which teen tracks super hard i know benson's like yeah but it's not worth your health and safety which isn't even worth saying to a teenager you know what i I was just gonna like that was such a thing to say to a kid and then be like fuck off right like that doesn't compute to someone like don't do drugs it's bad for you and you're like so yeah what do you mean yeah i'm not dying right ever it's so weird how invincible you feel as a teenager it's so fucking weird i think about death all the time now all the time time. (laughs) cynthia says that none of it matters now because i have to get a cpap (laughs) i have to get a cpap like what the fuck i'm dying Cynthia tells Benson that none of it matters now because her parents know about the parties and her dad won't even look at her. She starts going on about how beautiful her mom is and she wishes she could look like her mom because Cynthia also believes that she's some fucking uggo. Benson tells her there's nothing wrong with the way that she looks and tells her that she's beautiful. And Cynthia's like, yeah, on the inside, pretty girls always say that to make the ugly ones feel better. Benson tells her that everyone has fears and doubts, even the cool kids, but... They don't have half of Cynthia's resilience and courage. She's really trying to pump her up. And Cynthia's like, no, this you're wrong. Yeah. And I'm ugly and stupid. Not even like adult adults hear that. I mean, I still am like, nope. And I'm, I'm like 40. I'm getting a seat. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sitting there watching this fucking scene going, this is so bizarre. This is not like a regular insecure teen situation. Everyone they talk to is like, ugh, poor, unfortunate looking Cynthia. She is very unattractive. She is a regular looking cute kid. Like she, there's nothing that stands out that everybody's like, well. Now, if they would have put a a pair of lenses on her. Oh my God. I can't believe you said that. Why? Because I go into that later. Oh my God. I love you. Okay. <laughs> Let me finish my little scene here. Okay. Benson reminds her that she was raped and went to the hospital by herself. A lot of grown women wouldn't even do that. All you have to do is say the word and we'll go get him. And Cynthia's like, oh my God, I don't know. I got to think about it. Just as Benson was leaving the room, Cynthia stops her and says, it was the teacher, Ross McKenzie. He raped me. Mm-hmm. And then they close up on her very normal, symmetrical face. I say normal mm-hmm. as in she has zero features that would trigger dickheaded kids to pick on her. You know what I mean? Like all of the standard stuff. You think they'd slap yeah. some glasses on her to indicate to the viewers <laughs> that she's 90s ugly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I put That's that exactly in my notes. Was... And then when you were like, ah, put glasses on her. Yeah. 
That's how we know you're ugly in the 90s. Yeah. We both sit here adjusting our fucking frames. I know. She's all that. I mean, oh my God. Yeah. The principal, Munch and Toots, bust into Ross's classroom where Ross is teaching. They serve him a warrant for his fucking blood. Woo! In front of the entire class, they tell him it's to match his DNA to a rape kit. Ross goes up to the principal and says, this is a mistake. I didn't rape anybody. And like I said, I love how much this principal hates this guy. Yes. He's got all sassy. He's got, he's got sassy little hands <laughs> yeah. on his hips. <laughs> and he says, save it for the school board, Mr. McKenzie. I've already started the paperwork to fire you. And you can tell he's excited about it. He has a little <laughs> joker smirk that I love. Yeah. There's a big yep. difference there. But his little tube where he's like, oh my God, I'm loving saying this to you. I can't wait he's to like, tell everybody in the break room later he's like i already started the paperwork to fire you <laughs> ross says he wants to talk to his lawyer and munch says just so long as she's not 14 <laughs> cha, 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 cha. <laughs> like, shut up <laughs> that was good thanks for acknowledging that yeah yeah i usually don't right no I you don't, don't. Benson and Stabler are in the interrogation with Ross and his lawyer. His lawyer says that Ross didn't touch the girl and that his client's DNA won't match. And then they're getting the fuck out of there. Benson and Stabler are like, well, we'll just keep coming back until Ross tells what happened at the party. I mean, his house, his new work, you know, everywhere. And his lawyer's like, well, I'll be forced to file a harassment suit. Stabler tells Ross that he has a drug habit and doesn't want this attention the next time he wants to make a buy. So his lawyer like whispers something into Ross's ear and then says to Ross, go ahead, tell him they can't charge you with anything. So the way Ross's fucking attitude does a fucking 180 with like i don't know what's going i was here helping these kids it switches right to this douche that says quote i gave you up two tabs for x hoping to get some action ew like i'm at a teen party trying to get yeah kid puss yeah. gross the girl freaked out wouldn't do it never laid a finger on her and benson's like ah oh, yeah you tried to pray on a 14 year old girl and then he was like i was high and from what i could see she wasn't into the word no oh my fucking god this guy mm-hmm. this is a 14 year old oh my god stabler asked him who else cynthia was with that night and ross said that she never left tommy and nick's side and he's like if she was really raped it was probably one of them and then this is over and this does not get mm-hmm. tied up enough for me i need to know that he walked out of the mm-hmm. precinct and got hit by a bus yeah because something. this guy's a piece of shit and the fact that they can't charge him with anything when he is openly going yeah i was gonna fuck this 14 year old but she wasn't down with it so i know this is going to continue usually they like tie this shit up but they didn't yeah i didn't and like i don't that. like it I didn't like that. Yeah. I don't like that. Cut to the squad room. Ross is sticking to his story. Kraken says he's not lying. His DNA does not match the rape kit. Stabler still believes she was raped, but by who? And why would she lie about the teacher? Hmm. Benson says, dude, she desperately wants to be popular. If she blames Tommy or Nick, she's out of the popular crowd. Right. And then Kraken's like, I'm getting really sick of these kids, which is why I probably don't have any. <laughs> Round them up and lean on them hard. And Benson's like, okay, well, just, let's just remember that Cynthia is a rape victim. Okay. But St- Kragen saying that, that's a little excuse me that's a little bit of a flub because in regular law and order he talks about having a son so oh maybe Kraken's over it he's like yeah she's a victim who lied to the police severely compromising any trial on her behalf once she opted to speak she set the ball in motion he wants three interview rooms set up to separately talk to Tommy Cynthia and Nick with their parents now yeah we're in an interrogation room now with nick his mom benson and stabler stabler tells nick that tommy told the detectives that he had given cynthia to nick for his 
birthday. Can you imagine how awkward Nick and his mom feel? Oh my God. Like, it's just... I would be fuming. And his mom is. She goes, what? No, what were you thinking? Yeah. I can only imagine being a mom sitting in the precinct. What the fuck do you need? This is my child? Like, my kid did this? Right. Holy shit. Yeah. Benson asked if Cynthia went with him willingly, and he said, eventually. They went to Tommy's room to be alone, and Cynthia said no to Tommy. Like, she didn't want to go initially, but Tommy insisted. They asked him what happened in the room, and he said that he and Cynthia talked for a while. They have a lot in common. We both like to read books and other innocent things. At this point, I was like, I don't think they did anything in that room. I know. (laughs) But this kid is such a fucking dork. I'm just like, he seems really innocent and he's running with the wrong crowd. And now we're in Kragen's office with Cynthia and her parents. Kragen says to the parents that their daughter lied to the cops. Cynthia's dad's like, she wouldn't do that. She was raped. What the fuck? Kragen says she lied about who did it. And Cynthia's mom says, I don't understand. You think a teacher who attends kids parties is innocent? Exactly. I know. And Kragen says Ross is guilty of having questionable ethics, but he's not a rapist. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. He's not Cynthia's rapist. Correct. He hasn't been caught for raping someone. That's Underage it. Underage girls. That's it. Yeah. 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 But his DNA didn't, his DNA didn't match. Right. So Cynthia kind of, she's got her head down. She clams up. Kragen says, young lady, you aren't going anywhere until I find out who you're protecting. And like 14 <laughs> year old Gabe. Yeah is shitting your pants. I would have just shit my pants and be like, I'll tell you anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would be anxiety barfing into a little mm-hmm. office trash can. <laughs> Craig asked her if it was Tommy and she says no. He asked her if Tommy was mad at her for not doing it when he gave her to the teacher for drugs. And the dad's like, what the fuck is going on here? Are you saying my daughter is a prostitute? I hate all I the men today. I know. My daughter, my daughter doing something so shameful. Are you implying that? Mm-hmm. Fuck you. Craigan says, what I'm saying is I believe that she would do anything for this boy. And this mom is just like, I don't I don't believe it. I don't fucking believe it. Craigan opens up the blinds to the two-way glass thing and turns the volume up so you can hear the other side where Tommy is talking to Munch and Toots in the other interrogation room, okay? Mm-hmm. You can hear Tommy's dad say, you made me leave work for this? This isn't a crime. Then you hear Munch say, your son's been engaging in unprotected sex. And Tommy's dad saying, oh, come on. The boy is just curious. He had a niche. He got it scratched. Good for him. See how it's fucking different so different you know what i mean it's so gross he had a niche she got it scratched good for him high five son it was with a girl right yeah yeah if it was his daughter it'd be whatever so cynthia's dad gets close to the window to watch toots says to tommy's dad tommy's a little pimp he trades his girlfriend's services for alcohol and drugs and then munch says that they want to know who raped cynthia at the last party the dad's like is this true and then tommy says that cynthia does i hated all of this Mm -hmm. tommy's like cynthia does the guys i tell her to i don't force her i don't have to you can see cynthia get upset in the other room listening tommy's dad is pissed and he's like why are you doing this right tommy's like i don't know i guess because all the really pretty girls don't put out and she does she does what i tell her to do to whoever i say whenever i want and i'm like oh my god poor cynthia mm-hmm. cynthia's dad looks at her ashamed <laughs> and like sits back down cynthia's like okay i'm fucking talking cynthia says tommy said that nick had never been with a girl before and that it was his birthday and if i really loved him i would do this for his friend she said at first it was nice and sweet like nick was telling corny jokes and being really nice but she still didn't want to do it and that's when it turned ugly 
So it cuts back to Nick's interrogation room. Benson's like, you must have really fucking hated Cynthia. And he's like, no. He's like, I really like her. She's too smart to be used by Tommy. Stabler says it must really piss him off that Tommy gets all the attention from girls and all the glory. And Nick's like, no, it's not like that. He's my friend. After he just was like, Tommy's a fucking toolbox loser. He's my friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's such a teen, whatever. Yeah. Stabler's like, no, he's not. He gives you his fucking leftovers, man. It's got to piss you off knowing that you're not in his league. You think Tommy's beneath you. Benson's like, well, and Tommy's the most popular kid in school, and that's why Cynthia likes him, and why she wouldn't give you the time of day, and that's why you had to take what you wanted. Mm. Nick's mom gets mad. She's like, I fucking heard enough, and wants to leave, and like grabs his arm, and Nick rips his arm back super hard, and says, she started to cry, like being with me was so awful. I told her I'd tell Tommy, so she laid down, but then she changed her mind. Girls can't do that. (sighs) Girls can't do that! Oh my fucking God. Benson is like, um, what happened next? He said, nothing happened. We had sex. She let him do it. The Stabler's like, did she fight you? And he's like, she said no, but just laid there. And Stabler's face is like, wow. And Nick's mom's face is like, wow, Jesus Christ, my child's a rapist. Nick says that afterwards, she said they'd never talk about it again. And so he fucking, he didn't beat her up because she talked about it. He beat her up because she gave him the clap and didn't apologize. Mm. After baseball practice, he followed her home and she accused him of rape and that pissed him off because he doesn't believe it's rape. He says, if she wants Tommy, she can have him. He's a loser. Stabler says, so are you, Nick, and leaves the room. Yeah. So they're in the squad room and they do that fucking classic thing where they have everybody in the room Mm -hmm. all looking at each other which they would never do. Yeah, just crossing paths in the... Yeah. Space it out, guys. Nick's in handcuffs being taken away. He shits his pants when he locks eyes with Cynthia's dad. Mm-hmm. And then bobblehead ass Tommy and his dad walk right by her. Oh my god. Yeah. Tommy walks right by her and doesn't even look at her. Mm-hmm. Fucking woof. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this is one of those episodes that isn't hardcore based on anything. Like it's not ripped from the headlines. So mm-hmm. It's episodes like these where I feel like I have a lot of wiggle room on yeah, the chaser. To a topic, yeah. Yeah. This episode included false rape accusations, rape by a mm-hmm. teacher, drug-fueled teen sex parties, and toxic teen relationships. Mm-hmm. So I was like, what do I choose? I'm going with toxic teen relationships and a crime that came out of one. Okay. I searched and I may have missed it, but this should 100% be an SVU episode in itself. The story that I'm about to tell you. Okay. Ooh, I can't wait. It's sad. When Emma Walker was a freshman in high school, she had a lot going for her. She was a cheerleader, an honor student, and an animal shelter volunteer. Oh, God. I hate this already. <laughs> Why? I hate it already. <laughs> Just because it's always like she had a lot going for her. And then it's like the next thing you know, she's like meth rattled. and mm. She also wanted to be a neonatal nurse when she grew up. I don't want to tell you any more delightful things about her, but she was a really good kid. She was well-rounded, you know, had a lot of friends. Riley Gall, a junior two years older than Emma, was a cool guy. He liked Star Wars. He was a wide receiver on the football team. He was super good at it. So in the small Tennessee town north of Knoxville, he was like kind of a big deal. Tennessee too. Jesus fuck. Mm -hmm. Going into high school, Emma had a huge old crush on Riley, but he Mm -hmm. had a girlfriend. But then, Mm -hmm. OMG, yay, he broke up with her and started dating Emma. They got serious very quickly, but turned out he's just a piece of shit. 
Okay. Okay. So there's all this stuff that goes on, teenager stuff or whatever, that kind of sets the scene for people watching from the outside their relationship. So he had promised his ex that he would take her to his junior prom, but he was dating Emma at this time. And Emma's like, no, it's okay. Cause he told me he would take me next year to his senior prom. He knew that he had Emma hanging on the hook and he could do whatever he wanted. Her friends weren't huge fans. She wasn't really able to see what he was doing and wouldn't listen to her parents, Jill and Mark, who Mm -hmm. thought Riley was bad news bears. They tried to place rules down on her and it didn't work. Riley did not respect her parents in any way. And all it did was cause tension in their house. Mm -hmm. So they were like, we kind of have to let this play out, which is, yeah, they're teenagers and your parents and that's what the relationship is. He did the classic controlling moves, calling and texting like crazy if she was out without him. He isolated her from her friends and family, all of that stuff. But like all of us, she needed to live and learn it for herself. Okay. Yeah. The two dated on and off for the next two years, causing major tension in Emma's home with her family. But then after two years, he graduated. Riley went off to college and they were like, we're going to do the long distance thing. We all know what the story's going to entail right before Thanksgiving, Emma was like, I've had enough because there were all these posts to Snapchat with pics of Riley, the freshman and other girls at college. And Emma was fucking over it. Mm -hmm. And she was awesome. And she called things off. So immediately her parents were like the whole vibe of the house shifted. It was great. Everything chilled out. Everything was cool between us and Emma again. She's hanging out with her little brother and getting along with everybody. And it was great. Her parents were pumped that this part was over. Yeah. On Sunday, November 20th, 2016, Emma had gone to bed planning to get up early for school the next day. She'd spent the day with her dad. They went out and got ice cream and shit. Mm -hmm. At some point in the night, Emma's dad jumped out of bed because he heard this loud bang. He described it sounding like someone slamming a door really hard. Mm -hmm. Then he heard that same noise again and ran in to check on Emma and her younger brother, Evan. (gasps) Both kids were lying in their beds, apparently asleep. I mean, he stood in Emma's doorway staring at her for like 20, 30 seconds. And just it just looked like she was just sleeping. So he's like, weird, I must be hearing things. And he went back to bed. Early the next morning, Emma's mom went into her room to wake her up for school. But Emma would not wake up. And in Jill telling the story, she was like, I forget most of what happened, but I remember her not responding. And then I instinctually checked her pulse and there wasn't one. And the 911 call is fucking heartbreaking. And she's sitting there going like, I have no idea what's... Everybody was shocked. When police arrived, they found Emma in bed with a small amount of blood on her pillow. Right off the bat, there were rumors of an overdose, an aneurysm, suicide. They could not figure out what was going on with her, so they were going to have to do an investigation, an autopsy, etc. With this investigation comes police, right? Wait, her brother was fine though, right? Her brother was fine. Oh, yeah. okay. So because this then became an investigation, police show up. They mm-hmm. found something in Emma's room that had been overlooked by first responders. There was a hole in the wall next to her bed. The drywall yeah. indicated that it came in from outside. You know, where if you like poked something through, yeah. it the, looks the, different coming. It, yeah, the, the yeah. drywall is like spread out outward, right? Yeah. Then they found the entry wound behind Emma's ear. She had been shot through the wall. That was the noise that her dad had heard. Oh my God. So the cops was were like, two oh. bullet holes anywhere or the cops went outside oh, and saw another bullet hole and also two shell casings in the yard. So yes, there were two shots and her dad had heard both of them. And he insists he's like, it did not sound like a gunshot, yeah. but he also wasn't, you know what I mean? When you like hear a noise, was it like a 22 or something. 
Mm-mm. So apparently a lot had been going on in the days leading up to Emma's death. Uh-huh. This was, So she died on a Sunday, right? A Sunday night. That last Friday, Emma and a bunch of her friends were at a little get-together celebrating a win by the football team when she mm-hmm. got a text from an unknown number. Mm-hmm. It said something about someone having Riley. The next thing she knew, her phone's ringing. She had a chaotic call from Riley's phone. She could hear him in the background, like screaming for help. He'd been kidnapped. For some reason, everyone ran outside. I don't know if someone was saying something on the phone about it. Everybody runs outside to see Riley in the yard, bawling and yelling, telling Emma he'd been dumped by the kidnappers and he was all discombobulated and whatever. Emma was like, oh my God, no, you weren't. Bye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was pissed. And everybody was like, yeah. what a weird fucking prank. That's weird. And just kind of brushed it off as that. I heard it and I was like, oh, I dated a guy like that. Right. Yeah. You know, where it's like, this is to get your attention. Yep. The next morning, Emma drove home from the sleepover to see a dude in all black hood, sunglasses, everything outside of her house. So she tried to ignore him. She went into the house and this person began attempting to get in through the door windows, pulling the door open and shut, you know, trying to get inside. Whoa. Emma was terrified, so she called the person who had been her support for two years, her, like, first real boyfriend, and she texted Riley and said, I hate you, but I need you right now. Yeah. Riley showed up, searched Emma's neighborhood and yard to secure the perimeter. I don't fucking know. Whatever, this guy was gone. Uh, The person in all black. Later, when police were investigating Emma's death, they saw the man in all black on a neighbor's surveillance camera, like, fast walking down the street. Was it Riley? Back to after Emma's death, cops call Riley in. They needed to chat with this kid. He tells them the whole story of being kidnapped and being in a van with random guys with no motive and all this shit. How they were like, if there was one person that you could talk to, the last person, who would it be? And he's like, Emma. So they're like, call her. So I called her. Whatever. Yeah. And then he goes on to tell them about helping Emma the next day, who was terrified that there was this person dressed in all black trying to get into her house. And he's like, I wonder if it was somebody that kidnapped me. Maybe it had something to do with that. And I was worried for her. Right, right. He said that Sunday night, then they had spent a bunch of time on the phone. He and Emma. He was telling her that he loved her and he wanted to try to work things out with her. She told him that she was over it, but did the thing where she was like, I love you and I care about you but I don't want to be in a relationship with you. Like I'm very much over our relationship, but I care about you as a person sort of thing. Right. He said that after that phone conversation, he sat in the parking lot at his college campus, which was like 30 minutes away, crying and scrolling through photos of them. That was his alibi, right? Yeah. And that he had found out about Emma dying when he got a wave of texts and phone calls the next morning. The detectives were like, "Mm mm-hmm, okay, sure. Mm -hmm. They were so skeptical of him. Yeah, duh. You know what else was weird? Okay. Mm. Riley's grandpa had a gun that he Mm. had reported missing the day before Emma was killed. That was the same caliber as the gun used to kill Emma. And Riley lived with his grandpa. Yeah, okay. He didn't know anything about it, though. They asked him and he was like, nope, no idea. He's like, "Uh, uh, do you guys think I did something and they're like did you he's like no so they're like okay well i would never so at the end of this interview police couldn't hold him they didn't have enough to charge him so riley was free to go enter his two bffs Mm -hmm. alex and noah He'd been leaning on his lifelong pals pretty hard since the breakup and especially since Emma's death. This guy yeah. was like hard posting on social media. I love you so much. You're the love of my life. Da, 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 da. Like very much 
living out loud the, his grief. Yeah. What year was this, by the way? 2016, because she was killed November 20th, 2016. So his two pals were both spending as much time with him as possible to be there for him. So he has this huge, long interview with the cops. He calls up yeah. his pals and he's like, OK, guys, so I didn't kill Emma, but I do have my grandpa's gun and the cops are going to pin it on me. So could you please come and help me get rid of it? OK. He wanted to toss it from the bluffs over the Tennessee River. He's like, if I get it in the river, they're never going to find it. And they were like, yeah, for sure, bro. Absolutely. They always If it's in a heavy current body of water, that shit is gone. But his buddies, sure, bro, no problem. Lifelong pals, BFFs. Yeah. They get off the phone. They immediately call Lieutenant Merritt, who's in charge of the investigation. (laughs) And they're like, hey, officer, we love our friend. We're fully down for emotional support, but not for disposing of evidence. What do we do? Mm -hmm. Smart kids, man. Oh, I know. I'm curious what they would have done if it was just one and not two. Oh my gosh, I was thinking the same exact thing. I know. Really? Because they got, yeah, because they were sitting there, you know, like, is this fucked up? And then the other one gets to give feedback of like, I think this is fucked up. Maybe we should cut, you know, they're talking amongst themselves. But yeah, if it was one other person. Like one other teen who just Mm -hmm. like doesn't know how to do that. Right. And they don't want to tell a person that didn't hear it. You know, the person that they check in with is the person who's like, help me right. fucking get rid of this gun. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. a lot of times there's all that research about like group. But look at those fucking Slenderman girls. Well, that's what I'm saying. There's, there's a lot of times like there's like a person in those types of situations. There's like one person that's kind of like the dominant and the others just sort of like, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So that's cool that there was two. Right. <laughs> that they were like, this is weird, right? No. Okay. Should we call the kid? Let's just call him. You do it. I don't want to do it. Because guess what? They are probably under the impression they're like, well, if he didn't do anything, then... I think they knew he did. Yeah, they probably did. Yeah. So the cops freaking wired up Alex and Noah, set up a listening device in Alex's car. They had a key fob camera. They were like fucking Batman. They were like fucking James Bond. These guys, they had all these gadgets and shit. And kids are so fucking funny. So this interview that I watched with Alex... Alex and Noah. It was in an oxygen documentary about this whole thing. Alex goes, I had a little one. He's talking about a listening device. He's like, I had a little one inside a collar of my jacket, which sucked because I couldn't take off my jacket like the whole time. (laughs) He's trying to like get his friend recorded trying to dispose of a murder weapon. I had to leave my jacket on. It was like super weird. (laughs) So the three boys drove to pick up the gun at Riley's stepdad's house. So first that night, Riley shows up at Alex's or some shit or Noah's. I don't don't know whose house he went to but there's video of him being like you guys i don't want to go to prison i didn't do anything i really need your guys's help and your support and blah 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 and these guys are acting i mean they're wearing wires and shit and they're like yeah man we got your back bro like ride or die man like they were they did awesome so the three boys drive to pick up the gun at riley's stepdad's house then went Mm -hmm. to a gated apartment complex to park near the bluffs where Riley would then dispose of the gun in the river. The boys had instructions Uh from detectives to text them a code word as soon as they saw the gun. So Riley had, when he went into his stepdad's to get it, he had come out with this plastic bag. So they had to wait until he pulled the gun out and then... Yeah, I wonder what the code word was. I don't know. I I see it. (laughs) Code word, gun is out. (laughs) Dessert wine is out. (laughs) Yeah. That's our code word for anything now. <laughs> the 
fuck is a dessert okay. wine? You know, like Prosecco or some shit. Moscato. Oh. Dessert wine is out. Like sweet wine? Yeah. When Riley pulled it out of the plastic bag he had it in, Noah sent the text. The cops flipped the lights, got the gun, and arrested Riley for the murder of Emma Walker. Phone records and GPS on the phone placed him in the area of Emma's house as opposed to being at the college crying in his car like he had told police. Here's the mm-hmm. jaw dropper. He pled not guilty to the murder charge, but instead the defense argued he was there, but never intended to kill Emma and didn't know he could shoot through the wall of the house. Like if he shot at the house, that it would go into the house. They were trying to get the jury to convict him of reckless homicide, which would have been two to four years in jail. A crazy big difference from the 70 he'd be facing for first degree murder. Right. The story was he was trying to scare Emma. She'd call him and he'd come to the rescue. Mm -hmm. Sound familiar? Yeah, because... Obviously, he's the guy in all black, right? Yes. Trying to scare her to like, yeah. Yeah. So even to that point, they still denied the guy in black was Riley, even though Emma's friend and neighbor had told police that she saw the guy in black and that based on his build and gait, she was like, oh, yeah, as as soon as I saw him, I'm like, oh, is that Riley? Mm -hmm. Knew it was him. Yeah. The defense did, however, cop to the kidnapping being faked. Duh. Like he did like he was like, yeah, I did that for attention. And that's what I was doing this time, too. And I also almost believed it i was like yeah actually that tracks yeah okay this is why i don't fully believe that that's the story okay like it could where it's like i'm trying to scare her so that she calls me so that she leans on me so that maybe i have a chance of getting back with her when riley shot into emma's house forensics placed him five feet from the wall of the house with emma on the other side of that wall in her bed like the side of her bed was pushed up against the wall okay Okay. the prosecutor argued that he could have shot at the window shot up in the air anywhere but directly at where emma was sleeping yeah he knows where her bed is he knows where she sleeps it was easier to argue that he was intentionally killing her they argued that it was revenge because his other ruses didn't work and she still denied him and he refused to let her go yeah The jury's decision? Guilty. Good. Riley was given life in prison and won't be eligible for parole until he's in his 70s. Whoa, really? Yep. Is he black? Nope. Mm, Good. You're like, that doesn't make sense because there was actually justice here. So (laughs) there has to be something. Yep. No, he was a fucking white kid from the suburbs who was on the football team and had a lot going for him. A broken clock is right at least twice. At least. No, twice. He should be punished for 20 minutes of... Oh my God. Every single fucking time anything comes up talking about like fairness in the legal system. I'm like, yeah, well, Brock fucking Turner. Every fucking time time but the the town did like all this stuff to remember her she's got like a dog park named after her and like a neonatal part of the hospital named after her oh god what a garbage pile next week we got season three episode 17 surveillance a cellist is attacking her apartment benson stabler's investigation leads to discovery of hidden cameras streaming cassie's day-to-day life and a website Ooh, i'm excited for that if you want to get a hold of us email svupod at gmail.com follow us on instagram at svupod join our fucking facebook group uh (laughs) what is it called again svu pod elite squad yeah dude i love that fucking shit Mm -hmm. and give us a couple of good stars you know maybe five maybe five if you're gonna do it just go all the way yeah you know if you're gonna do it i just rather you do it here five stars (laughs) check Check out our patreon Patreon. 
We got a ton of fun stuff. All that jazz. Everybody gets garbage cookies. If you like our stories and our like asides and whatever, that's all of what those are. The higher the tier, the more garbage cookies you get. Yeah. And friendship boats and just like sometimes random stuff that we want. We, you know. Yeah. And there's um, discounts on merch. We had a fun Christmas party um, on Zoom. It was fun. We had a fun Zoom Christmas party. <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> and then everybody got ornaments. Elite Squad yeah. ornaments. It was fun. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun seeing okay. everybody. So that's it. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> this is the biggest, skinniest jar I've ever seen. What goes in there? What, what goes in there? Jam? Is that a marmalade jar? <laughs> marmalade? Or Craig's office with Cynthia and her parents. Just cut out that old man. Yeah, I'm gonna. I don't need to always be the hoe. I know. It's like, yeah. I wanna climb dicks and suck them and choke on them and puke <laughs> on them out. <laughs> <laughs> and to our Elite Squad patrons Haley K, Sonia W, Jenny S, Sky K, Nikki B, Marissa M, Elkie H, Sarah A, Annie G, Mary D. Andrew, Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, Lex, Emily T, Kayla W, Mallory G, Eliza W, Bonita R, Marin, <laughs> Vanessa, Amy P, <laughs> Jess M, <laughs> Summer M, Melanie G, Courtney W, Ursula S. Emily A. Katrina C. Katie H. Uyanga. And together. Nicole, Nicole R. R. <laughs> that was dumb. <laughs> we love and appreciate you. Yeah, you guys are amazing. Thank you so much. You're helping us make this possible to do together. And we're best friends. And we Doing it together, best friends. <laughs>